Forced Migration Review, Issue 56, October 2017. Canada's Guideline 9, Improving SOGIE Claims Assessment by Moira Dustin and Nuno Ferreira. Asylum seekers making claims related to their sexual orientation and gender identity often face unfair refusal. New guidance from the Immigration and Refugee Board of Canada takes admirable steps towards improving claims assessment and offers a model for practitioners elsewhere. The Immigration and Refugee Board of Canada's Guideline 9, Proceedings Before the IRB Involving Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity and Expression, SOGIE Guideline, has been in effect since May 2017. It addresses a number of the recurring concerns about asylum claims based on sexual orientation and gender identity and expression. End note 1. SOGIE that have arisen in case law, statutory instruments, and guidance around the world. End note 2. These concerns, which have been common reasons for refusing SOGIE-based asylum claims in Europe, relate to qualification as a member of a particular social group for the purposes of the 1951 Refugee Convention, whether applicants can return to live discreetly without risk, whether laws criminalizing homosexuality in the applicant's country of origin constitute persecution in themselves, the use of gender and sexual stereotypes to inform asylum decision-making, whether sexually explicit evidence is asked for or expected in asylum cases, and late disclosure as the basis for refusal of international protection. These were the subject of Court of Justice of the European Union, CJEU, rulings in 2013 and 2014. End note 3. The guideline makes many good provisions. Citing a 1993 decision, end note 4, the guideline is clear that individuals presenting asylum and migration SOGIE-based claims are, quote, characterized as a particular social group, end quote. It also recognizes that the fears of SOGIE asylum seekers' family members may also warrant consideration under the same refugee convention ground, which is welcome, if not particularly new to European audiences. On the issue of discretion, the guideline asserts that claimants should not be expected to be, quote, discreet about their SOGIE in order to avoid persecution. It thereby avoids the line of questioning, as in, for example, UK guidance about the possibility of living discreetly in the country of origin. End note 5. The guideline is robust on the need to avoid decision-making based on stereotypes, offering a good range of examples of pitfalls, such as making assumptions that SOGIE applicants will participate in LGBTIQ+, and note 6, culture in Canada. This seems to go beyond the 2014 SJEU decision, which precludes decision-making that is based on stereotypes, but still leaves room for questions based on them, provided these questions are part of an overall balanced line of questioning. The guideline positively acknowledges that instances of late disclosure are acceptable and can be justified under certain circumstances. The statement that an individual may quote, reasonably delay making a claim for refugee protection based on SOGIE, end quote, in a number of situations goes further than any other guideline we have seen. 
Moreover, the guideline rightly alerts decision makers to the need to consider very carefully any negative weight attached to inconsistencies, including those arising from late disclosure, which may be due to, quote, cultural, psychological, or other barriers, end quote. The guideline could have gone further, however, by requiring decision makers to offer asylum claimants the opportunity to clarify any perceived inconsistencies or issues affecting their credibility before a decision is issued. The guideline further acknowledges that it is unreasonable to expect SOGIE asylum claimants to approach public authorities in their countries of origin for protection, especially when laws criminalizing non-conforming SOGIE are in place and enforced. The guideline rightly focuses on the operational level rather than what is enshrined in the statutory framework of the country of origin. Moreover, it gives unprecedented attention to the importance of decision-makers accepting surplus claims of being sensitive towards the slow processes of self-acceptance many SOGIE asylum seekers experience. The quality and relevance of Country of Origin Information, COI, has been a recurrent theme in asylum studies, particularly in relation to SOGIE individuals, end note 5. The guideline acknowledges the problematic use of COI in these cases by recalling that underreporting of discriminatory or persecutory practices in countries of origin may reflect local attitudes towards rather than the absence of such practices. However, on the notion of persecution, the guideline's reasoning is disappointingly conservative. It refuses to equate criminalization of same-sex conduct and other SOGIE-related repressive norms with persecution. Instead, it simply states that, quote, being compelled to conceal one's SOGIE constitutes a serious interference with fundamental human rights that may therefore amount to persecution, end quote. In this and elsewhere, it leaves too much leeway for denial of asylum to people living under repressive and discriminatory legal frameworks. This is at odds with its recognition of the impact of cumulative discrimination elsewhere. Unexpected additions. In addition to these elements of welcome progress, the guideline takes other, less expected steps. Its approach to terminology is unusual, with its inclusion of the term expressions, sexual orientations, and gender identities and expressions. This is a positive development, as the focus is on individuals' characteristics rather than their overall lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex, and queer and questioning LGBTIQ identities, section 2. Decision-makers should thereby be encouraged to show more sensitivity to individuals' range of characteristics and how these intersect. This is in line with the emphasis on intersectionality throughout the guideline and makes the exclusion of individuals with particular identities who do not identify as LGBTIQ plus less likely. A further step would be to include sexual characteristics, making the acronym S-O-G-I-E-S-C. This positive choice of terminology is allied with an equally positive acknowledgement that gender is not binary but instead sits on a spectrum. 
Interestingly, heterosexual individuals also fall within the scope of these guidelines where they do not or do not appear to conform to socially accepted SOGIE norms. Moreover, the guideline acknowledges the lack of standard terminology to capture the complexity of understanding of SOGIE across different cultures and societies, with the aim of averting cultural and socially inappropriate notions and expectations in migration and asylum adjudication procedures. Finally, it directs authorities and interpreters to address individuals respectfully using their chosen name, terminology, and pronouns. The guideline should be praised for its positive language and fluid approach to definitions and identifiers. Also to be applauded is its consistent reference to how SOGIE intersects with other characteristics such as race, ethnicity, religion, faith or belief system, age, disability, health status, social class, and education. Moreover, it makes excellent use of intersectionality to highlight that this range of characteristics may affect all aspects of migration and asylum procedures, including individuals' testimonies, relationships with authorities, and different stakeholders' notions of persecution. Crucially, the guideline hints at the restrictive traditional application of the 1951 Refugee Convention grounds. While decision makers generally expect asylum seekers to lodge their claims on the basis of one particular refugee convention ground, the guideline highlights that SOGIE individuals may reasonably lodge a claim on the basis of a combination of any of the five convention grounds. In this way, the guideline moves away from defining individuals on the basis of their SOGIE alone. As we note below, however, this is somewhat at odds with the guideline's own term, diverse SOGIE. The guideline is to be applauded for recognizing that many SOGIE individuals should be classed as vulnerable to be protected under any provisions that might be applicable. It also rightly alerts officials to the need to adopt additional safeguards for the protection of sensitive information. In an unexpected and groundbreaking move, the guideline refers explicitly to SOGIE children and alerts decision makers to their particular vulnerability. Its reference to the principle of best interests of the child again reflects the principle of intersectionality, making connections beyond the field of refugee law. Finally, the guideline adopts a respectful approach towards SOGIE individuals' family rights and acknowledges the difficulties they may face in proving their spousal or conjugal relationships. In highlighting the importance of avoiding preconceived notions about such relationships, the guideline also calls on decision makers to consider the unique circumstances that SOGIE individuals face. These circumstances ought to be taken into consideration. It suggests in the assessment of humanitarian and compassionate grounds in sponsorship appeals. Shortcomings. In a rather surprising shortfall in relation to evidentiary standards, the guideline simply states that individuals are not, quote, expected to establish their SOGIE through the use of sexually explicit photographs, videos, or other visual material, end quote, paragraph 7.2.4. This feeble phrasing leaves excessive room for individuals to feel under pressure to submit this sort of evidence to strengthen their cases. The CJEU has gone beyond this by completely precluding the use of sexualized evidence in SOGIE asylum cases 
thus more effectively protecting the dignity of asylum claimants, and it is regrettable that the guideline did not adopt a similar approach. Only the elimination of any scope for using sexualized evidence in asylum and migration procedures will remove the pressure on applicants and their legal representatives to make use of this possibility as a last, desperate resort to prove their sexual orientation. Despite the merit in using characteristics, S-O-G-I-E, rather than identities, L-G-B-T-I-Q+, as its terminology, the guidelines use of the S-O-G-I-E acronym is troubling. The text not only refers to claims based on S-O-G-I-E, but also repeatedly refers to individuals, quote, with diverse S-O-G-I-E. Diverse in relation to what? The answer would appear to be in relation to the heterosexual majority. While the difference is undoubtedly the source of the persecution, stigma, and discrimination suffered by individuals who claim asylum on the basis of their SOGIE, in using diverse SOGIE, the guideline inadvertently reinforces a perceived divide between standard heterosexuality and deviant non-heterosexuality. Referring either to individuals who claim asylum on the basis of their SOGIE or, for the sake of linguistic simplicity, SOGIE asylum seekers would be greatly preferable. Unfortunate phrasing is also used elsewhere. The guideline refers to forced medical treatments, stating that, quote, individuals with diverse SOGIE may be forced to undergo medical treatment, including corrective sexual violence, end quote, and other non-consensual procedures. This wording implies that these practices are medical treatments, when in fact they are closer to torture or cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment under Article 7 of the 1966 International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Conclusion We welcome and largely endorse this guideline. The guideline responds to asylum seekers' needs and experiences in a number of ways that are absent from most officially approved asylum guidance instruments, covering scenarios such as joint claims, persecution by association, SOGIE minors, and the need for additional safeguards to limit public dissemination of sensitive material. While keeping in mind the gap that often exists between guidance and practice, the Canadian guideline breaks new ground and in many areas provides a model of good practice for other authorities and jurisdictions. Moira Dustin, m.dustin at sussex.ac.uk, Research Fellow. Nuno Ferreira, n.ferreira. RA at sussex.ac.uk, Professor of Law, SOGICA, University of Sussex, www.sogica.org. End note one. While sexual orientation and gender identity, SOGI, seems to be more commonly used, the guideline also includes expression, thus leading to the acronym SOGIE, to highlight the relevance of the expression of one's sexual orientation and gender identity. End note 2. HTTP colon slash slash bit.ly slash RIB guide 9 hyphen 2017. End note 3. Joined class C 19912 to C10212 X, Y, and Z versus Minister Vor Immigrant 
Tianazil, 7 November 2013. And joined cases C-148-13 to C-150, A, B, and C, versus Strat Secretarius Van Veligid and Justity, 2 December 2014, http colon slash slash curia.europa.eu slash juris slash document slash document dot JSF question mark DOCID equals 160244 ampersand DOC LANG equals EN. End note 4. Canada Attorney General versus Ward 1993 2SCR 689 HTTPS colon slash slash SCC hyphen CSC dot lexum dot com slash SCC hyphen CSC slash SCC hyphen CSC slash EN slash item slash 1023 slash index dot DO. End note 5. Home Office 2016. Asylum Policy Instructions, Sexual Orientation and Asylum Claims, Version 6.0. HTTP colon slash slash bit.ly slash UK gov hyphen SOGI hyphen 6 hyphen 2016. End note 6. Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans, Intersex and Queer or Questioning. End note 7. European Asylum Support Office, 2015, researching the situation of lesbian, gay, and bisexual persons, LGB, in countries of origin, EASO Practical Guides Series, http colon slash slash bit.ly slash EASO hyphen LGB hyphen guide hyphen 2015. FMR is an open access publication. You are free to download, copy, distribute, or link to this article as long as it is for non-commercial purposes and the author and FMR are attributed. All articles published in FMR are licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License.